loosen up. Take my medicine and you're going to learn to do like Brimley. I have a dick like a horse and an unquenchable thirst. But I take doctor's medicine so I don't come first. I do my commercials. I want to get paid. My ads get me rich. My dick gets me late. Nice, nice Brimley. Things I shouldn't do. Nice, nice, Brimley. Nice, nice, Brimley. I've eaten apple ice cream. <laughs> Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second run. Yes. You're listening to Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm your host, D. Simon. I'm Harrison. Harrison, you have uh, big plans for the uh, 4th of July? Oh, yeah. Big, Independence big plans. Day? Is, it, is that one of your favorite holidays? Do you get all American, put on some shorts? Flip flops. Yeah, I got a, I got a um, visor. Put a handkerchief, tie a a do rag on my head. You know, get a little stars and stripes do rag and just go and uh, go to a barbecue. Yeah. Do you? Do you? What are the odds that you're going to be invited to a barbecue? Like five percent. Yeah, I think mine's about like maybe four to six percent. I think people don't want me at their barbecue. Maybe maybe yeah. because I'm vegetarian, or maybe because I'm just obnoxious and annoying. I just don't think my friends. Well, maybe, most of my friends don't have homes, so they don't have grills. Yeah. But my friends that do have uh, like barbecues and grills and decks, they don't invite me. Yeah. Like uh, I have this friend that I went to high school with. He's got like a family, and I've known this guy for years. Never met his wife. Never met his kids. Yeah. His kids are like nine and eleven. Never met them. You know he probably has a Fourth of July barbecue. He just—I think he just doesn't want me there because it'd just be weird. Yeah. You know, uh, my buddy P Town. He's got like friends that own homes, like in his neighborhood, and that he works with. And I think they all get together and do a barbecue and drink beer and and talk about owning homes. And I think yeah. they also—he doesn't invite me either because I don't know. Maybe it'd just be once again weird. So sure. that's fine. So instead, right. I'll fucking have my own goddamn Fourth of July. Get some fucking black snakes and some sparklers. I don't give a shit. Fuck it. All right. Never been a big fan of that uh, that holiday. A lot of people go camping. A lot or of people glamp do. or glamping. Tell me, you've never done glamping before, have you? I don't even know what that. I'm not even really sure what that is, to be honest. I think you have to dress up like. Mark I just Bowling. saw that it was on the cover of the LA Weekly the other day. It said like. Something about glamping. I think you have to dress up like Mark Bolin and go camping. If only that were that cool. <laughs> if only. It's not. It's not. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, yeah. I think it's just rich people like Paris Hilton and and that type of person. They yeah. can go out and rent like really nice cabins. It's just like where your yurt has like a built-in fucking iPhone charger or something, you know? Yeah, and that's that's called glamping. I don't. But you yeah. know what? I don't even like doing that. Like, I'm just not a fucking camping type of guy. I don't think I've ever slept in a tent. 
Right. Do you do really? that? Do you, do you ever go camping? I mean, I haven't in quite some time. I just, I don't know. It's not my thing. I, I don't, I've never, I wouldn't even know how to put up a tent, but like that's I enjoy not, it, but it's like, you know, do you know how to do all that stuff? Do you have myself? it? You know, what am I going to do? Go camp by myself. Do, <laughs> I don't you know, know anybody. You know? There's a guy that, uh, he's a, he's been on the show. Captain Carl, people, old time fans might know him. That dude loves to do that. He'll go to like fucking Yosemite, you know, the uh-huh. Yosemite park or whatever, and just go off by himself and just camp for two days. Yeah. That's some weird, like Walt Whitman shit. I don't know why you would do that. I don't know. Yeah. Like it, I would, I mean, I guess I just don't, I find, I find nature to be kind of creepy too. It's like, I'm out of my environment. I don't feel safe there. I don't know what's going on in the in the woods, right? You know, it just it's it's creepy. I mean, and to top it all off, there's a shitload of people disappear in these parks. Oh yeah, you know we we were talking about that, and it's a you know it's a it's a topic that we want to discuss for a while. And uh, I was waiting because you know there's some authorities on that topic of national park disappearances. So I was trying to get an interview uh, with the one guy. Um, what's his name? Pilates. Who's Pilates. Like, Pilates. Is that you say his name? All right. Yeah, it's not, not Pilates. Not Pilates. Tell you that much. Mr. Yeah. Yoga. Um, uh-huh. No, uh, Pilates. Uh, that guy is like I think the lead the lead authority on national park disappearances, and he's a writer of a series called Miss- Missing Four One One. Right. And he has a lot of theories why people disappear, and I guess he's also um, has met issues with uh, the national park services and their lack of record keeping. Yeah. So and that that's that's a weird thing too in a, in and of itself and I think that's why it spawns so many conspiracies. And theories. Well, there yeah, and also the weird thing about that is that like there's like two sides. He, his whole thing is called missing 411. And there's two sides to it. There's the side that where like like they did a documentary, like a proper documentary in 2017, which is actually a really good documentary about like two different cases of like children going missing in parks. And then there's also like also years of fucking interviews he did on like coast to coast about like fucking dog men, you know, well, showing up in 1897 and throwing rocks at people and big feet and aliens yeah. and all sorts of nonsense. So, there, but, yeah, if you look a lot of the books, I think he sold a show or something. I'm pretty sure he sold a TV show because if you try to find any of the old books that are all kooky, they're way out of print. And on Amazon, they're all like four hundred dollars. So. Yeah, that's the thing. I think he's really kind of trying to establish credibility. And he doesn't want to go into the big, wacky, kooky, Bigfoot, Wendigo theories that right, he used yeah. to have, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, th- but that's the thing. So thousands of people go missing in national parks across the U.S., not just Yosemite, the Grand Canyon. I'm talking like in, you know, uh, on the East Coast and the Sierras. It's like th- Mount Shasta, like all throughout the country, people disappear in these parks. And the National Park Service is doesn't keep track of missing people. That's right. So this is why now, now because of this, everybody's like, it's a paranormal explanation and everybody has a theory. And some of these theories range from like something that is somewhat plausible to like completely cuckoo wacky. Like, uh, I like this one. The missing people have been eaten by Bigfoots. Yeah. And that's what, uh, Polites thought like, or at least claimed before he became, you know, an established journalist. Um, right. 
Uh, yeah, but so people believe that a lot of uh, that missing people have been used as a food source for these creatures, for Bigfoots. And uh, that's why their bodies are never found. And then they, they, on top of that, a lot of the bodies that are found, I um, mean, it's a pretty low number. You know, it's surprisingly, it's, it's from what I've, you can't even find a real statistic on it because of, of the you know, lack of record keeping. But it's, it's surprisingly, they don't find many people. They don't even find the bodies. Um, but it says that when they do find the bodies, most of the autopsies come back inconclusive. So pathologists can't even determine how the person died. So that's what supports theories on alien interference or paranormal abduction or, once again, the Bigfoots. Um, People have said that the bodies turn up like unbelievable distances from where they went missing. And that's a weird, that's another, they're like, oh, it had to be aliens that picked up. But they said this uh, toddler uh, went missing in, uh, I think this is in Oregon, but he turned up dead 12 miles from where he vanished. And between those 12 miles were like mountain ranges and creeks and shit. Oh, yeah. So what would happen? Was it a pterodactyl? <laughs> I don't know. Because it's fairy folks that can fold yeah. space. Or, or other people think it might have been an evil spirit called a Wendigo. Like that's, a, that's an actual theory thinks, out there. Who said that? You know who what? One that? of the, here, I got an article here. One of the more interesting explanations of the missing people were killed by an evil spirit called the Wendigo. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people say that, uh, that the U.S. National Park land was taken from the Algonquin tribes who believe in the Wendigo. And they feel like it's a re- that, that, that they, that the Algonquin Indians have sicked the Wendigos on people. Well, that's fucking ridiculous. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because a Wendigo has never been seen south of the Canadian border. <laughs> All right. Maybe not by I've you. I've never heard of such an outrageous thing. <laughs> never heard of such an outrageous thing. That's crazy. That is completely insane. Yeah. Um, I love this one. I read this, uh, this three-year-old's report of when he went missing. And, which is funny to me that they're even interviewing a three-year-old to begin with. Right. You know? Um, but this three-year-old boy in the 80s, went missing in a national park near Mount Shasta in Northern California. And the boy retold uh, this tale of being missing for five hours. And he included the fact that he was taken into a cave by a woman uh, whom he thought was his grandmother. I Uh, remember this, yeah. Yeah, he saw strange lights coming from her head along with robots in the cave. And he knew something was weird at that point. Then the woman started to get angry with the boy and she asked him to go number two on a piece of sticky paper laid out on the ground. That's right. And he noticed that there are guns littered all around the cave. Was it his imagination or did he witness something truly bizarre? This kid was actually found, surprisingly. Yeah, they wanted to make a robot of him too. Probably. You know, that's probably what they're going to use with his, his poo. Yep. That's how they make robots in space. Yeah. Um, then there's a story of this guy, Stephen Kubacki, went missing in 1979, 15 months. He went skiing, missing for 15 months, and then mysteriously showed up 40 miles away from his father's house in a different state. Yeah. And when he knocked on the door, he, wasn't, he was wearing clothes that weren't his. He had a satchel that didn't belong to him. Couldn't remember anything that happened. But he didn't actually suffer from any like, psychological trauma. Never ended up seeking help. And eventually got a PhD in clinical psychology and opened up his own practice. Do you know that? I didn't know that. I don't. <laughs> why is that even? Okay, sure. All right. Great. That's the thing. It's, I think that's yeah. what uh, a lot of these people with theories, especially like paranormal explanations, are like, oh, yeah. no, he's totally normal. He's smart, actually. He has a PhD. See? Yeah. 
That's what we're not making this up. So anyway, I was trying to find a. And then you uh, say the satchel wasn't even his, huh? Yeah. Well, some interesting satchel stories right there. Hmm. They do say that uh, oftentimes when people do go missing, they lose their clothes and they show up in clothes that never belonged to them. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the reasonable explanation for that is a lot of times when people are suffering from hypothermia, they feel really hot and they take off their clothes. Yeah, that's what they say. It's typical um, lost person behavior, actually. And then you realize you're, clo- you know, you're cold, so you steal, I don't know, clothes off a hermit's fucking clothesline or something, you know? <laughs> who knows? Or you, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's other people at hypothermia, so you find clothes on the ground, you just put them on. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, I was trying to find, I was trying to get an interview with, uh, an authority on this national park disappearances. And I came across an author who wrote a book called Ranger Confidential, living, working and dying in the national parks. Uh, her name's Andrea Lankford. And I reached out to her and, uh, she was like, sure, I'll come on your show. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, I ended up interviewing her about, uh, some of the parks that she worked at. She worked at Yosemite, uh, she worked at, a, at, at the Grand Canyon, um, and I mm. believe she also worked at a park in Utah for like 12 years. And so she wrote this book that was kind of a um, bit of a memoir, just uh, stories that, that she personally experienced, but also other rangers did. Uh, really interesting, though. So uh, let, let's check out this interview. So we're here live with uh, Andrew Langford, the author of Ranger Confidential, Living, Working, and Dying in the National Parks. Very excited to chat with you about your book. And about national park disappearances in general. Um, so, Andrea, tell me, I've read that 1,600 people mysteriously vanish each year while visiting U.S. national parks. Is that, is that true? Seems kind of high, the number. Yeah, I think we really don't know because the federal government hasn't done a good job of tracking exactly how many people are still missing within the boundaries of the national park and the United States forest. Yeah, I've read about that. So they, the National Park Services doesn't have a database of missing people. What, why is that? Well, you know, some parks do, and probably some parks do a better job than others. But on a national scale, I do not believe they've done that yet. It, I think it's something they should do. Uh, they just need to make it a priority. You do have some jurisdictional issues. You know, mm. not every park um, has exclusive jurisdiction so sometimes the county is responsible within that park or forest of conducting search and rescue. So, so local sheriff is in the same situation. Yes, exactly. The sheriff. Oh, okay, so so maybe their record keeping isn't up to par. It's both. Yeah, both. Okay. I think you could put some blame maybe on both. So a lot of the people who do vanish each year, how how many people are found alive versus how many are just never found at all? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't have a stat to throw at you, but, you know, I've, I've done hundreds of search and rescue missions, and most often they are found alive. That's why they call it search and rescue. You're often searching for the person, then you find them, and you rescue them. So more often than not, you find a person. That happens every day. And the alternative would be a recovery mission, You're exactly right. Um, you may find them dead, and that would be a recovery, yes. So is there a very narrow window window of time where you can find someone alive in the wilderness? Actually, no. We're seeing more and more cases, like the woman that went missing in Hawaii, where yeah. people survived almost a month. That's, wow, that's um, crazy. 
we find them dead and they've left a journal and that tells us they survived four weeks. Um, so, you know, search and rescue, they usually tend to only search three to seven to 10 days. I think there's evidence now that search efforts should extend longer than that. So when do you officially stop searching? Is like after the 10 days, does everybody get together and be like, we don't have the resources to continue? Like, why do they stop at 10 days? Um, it, it's, it's, you know, in the National Park Service, they do a pretty good job of search planning. And I've been in that role and I've worked with the family. It's a very hard decision to make. You look at mm. a lot of different uh, aspects of the case. Uh, the potential for survival, things like that. I've had to tell family members that, you know, it's time to wind down the search. It, I was at the yeah. Grand Canyon. It's a busy park. We have people that we could save that we need to direct the resources to. So it's a hard decision to make. So it may be, it's usually anywhere from three to 10 days. Three to 10 uh, days. My experience in the park is we usually searched at least 10 days heavily. It doesn't mean you don't still follow leads. But, you know, the, the big search effort usually only lasts around a week. And so how involved are the family members in the search? Like, are, are they allowed to continue searching? Yeah, there's nothing illegal for them to continue searching. Uh, you know, it depends on their methods. And we're seeing that more and more often today. You know, with Facebook, we're seeing mm -hmm. a lot more of, I almost want to call it vigilante search efforts. And that happened in Hawaii, you know, where the family, uh, they never gave up money. Yeah. They yeah. collect money from well-meaning people and they send their own helicopters out. They pay for it themselves. So we're yeah. going to see this more and more, I believe. Yeah. They, I believe they crowdfunded that search. What exactly. happened with that woman in Hawaii? Was she, she managed to get enough water and I think she like was hiking around a waterfall and got lost or something. Yeah, she did. I think she just went off the trail to go to the bathroom or something like that, then got turned around, ended up going down a drainage and got trapped in that drainage. Uh, I believe she had a leg injury. Um, it's Hawaii. It's not that cold. She didn't yeah. have any supplies, but there was water. And I believe she was able to eat fruit. OK, um, that's what it was. Yeah. So she, I believe she survived 17 days. Wow. Yeah, that's that seems long. What's what's the longest period of survival that you've ever experienced, I guess, with a search and rescue? Now, personally, uh, I personally didn't experience a case where the person survived that long. I worked in very deadly parks like Yosemite and Grand Canyon. But I know the one woman who went missing on the Appalachian Trail, I want to say that was 28 days, according wow. to her journal. And recently, there was a young man who went missing on the Pacific Crest Trail, Gavin Johnson. And I believe he was also right around 28 days. Wow. Uh, they, I believe, died of exposure slash uh, starvation. Yeah, I imagine like dehydration would be an issue as well at that point. They both, they both had water, so it was oh. food. Food. Was food. Wow. Yeah. So you work for Yosemite in the Grand Canyon. Do you work for any other parks? Yeah, I also worked at Cape Hatteras National Seashore in North Carolina oh, okay. and Zion National Park in Utah. Zion, and yeah. I did details in a few other parks. So which one has the uh, most cases of missing people? I believe people think Yosemite does, but I don't know the answer to that. And like I said, this yeah, because they don't have clear, the stats. so none of us none of us know for sure. But, I mean, the um, Grand Canyon probably gets the most visitors. I'm assuming. But how many people actually hike the Grand Canyon versus just stop by and look at it? Oh, thousands, thousands and yeah. thousands. Uh, yeah, Grand Canyon is a super busy part. One of the 
busiest search and rescue parks in the nation, if not the world. Wow. Um, so how long were you a park ranger for? 12 years. 12 years. And how did you become one? Like, do you, do you have a background in law enforcement? No, I you... have a degree in forestry, and I wanted to work in the outdoors. I was having a trouble getting a job when I graduated. And I had a boyfriend who was a park ranger at Cape Hatteras. He talked me into going to the law enforcement seasonal ranger school. Mm-hmm. just sounded like a fun to me. So I went and got a job for the summer job at Cape Hatteras. Okay. And then, uh, and and then, then from... I, yeah, then I fell in love with it. It it was just so exciting. I fell in love with the mission. And uh, from there, I Kept stayed going. for 12 years and then wow. I got burned out and left. You said it's one of the most dangerous jobs you've had and that national park rangers are actually very likely to, to be assaulted in the line of duty. So is it really more dangerous than being like a police officer in Detroit or something? No, not necessarily a police officer in Detroit, but it is one of the most dangerous federal jobs. Uh, Rangers are up to 12 times more likely to be assaulted in the line of duty than a special agent with the FBI. Wow. Um, Assaulted by campers or hikers or? uh, Maybe if they're having a a crisis, you know, there's wanted people. I arrested a a wanted bank robber in Yosemite. Um, there's been people who take hostage in the national parks, you know, on Appalachian trail, there was just an individual that stabbed two hikers and killed one. Yeah. I read um, about that. And uh, yeah. he just, they were just hiking and he, he just came out of the trail and just started stabbing him. One, I think one woman survived though. Yes, she survived. The male victim died. He most likely was probably schizophrenic, had yeah. some sort of mental health issues, but criminals go on vacation too. Yeah, you know, wasn't there a serial killer in Yosemite just a few years ago? Yes. A, uh, a stainer. Well, I it believe was like it. more than a decade ago. But was it yeah, a decade ago? Yeah. yeah, and he, he killed several women, including a Yosemite naturalist. Oh, wow. It, yeah, so I guess, uh, yeah, if you think about it, I mean, it's there's a lot of criminal activities going, going out there. Imagine, have you ever busted any meth labs? No, personally, I haven't. Um, Thank goodness. They yeah. tend to happen more in the desert parks, I believe. Yeah, probably like Joshua Tree or something. Yeah. Like out there. So is uh, when, when is peak hiking season? Depends on the park. Um, for like Yosemite, for it's definitely summer, you know, June to September. Okay. And Grand Canyon, probably around, or I guess Grand Canyon would be kind of too hot to hike right now, well, probably. Well, unfortunately, Grand Canyon, it's year round. It oh. ought to be October to March, but that's not when people are out. Kids are out of school. That's not your, you know, National Lampoon vacation time. So Grand Canyon is a busy hiking park all year and so, summer being the deadliest time. Is it, um, when you say deadliest, is it because so many people or people getting lost and, it, and it's warm outside. So that's why people get exposed to, uh, this, to, you know, the, uh, the environment. Is that, is that why it's the deadliest? Yeah. The Grand Canyon is a beautiful park, but it's also a very unforgiving park. And you go from 7,000 feet down to 2000 feet. And so it's like going from Canada to Mexico. And if you're not prepared, uh, you could get dehydrated very quickly. You could die within hours. Wow. Yeah, wow, that's scary. Um, and, and so do you think the typical tourist even considers that? Like, are, how, are they ever, like, do they prepare themselves for the conditions or are they just kind of, like, show up and, like, I'm going to have a good time and hike down this ravine? 
I think the typical tourist that the ranger has to deal with is the latter. The prepared yeah. ones, you know, we rarely have to rescue. It's usually the unprepared ones. So in a ranger's mind, yes, the typical tourist <laughs> is not prepared. And uh, are they very, like, do you have to deal with a lot of obnoxious tourists? Yeah, sometimes I did, um, it, but sometimes it's just because I was sleep deprived and I was tired and overworked, it, and I believe my rangers would say the same thing. Sometimes it's just our patience is low. Um, yeah, I guess at that point. Because we're dealing with so many. You know, if yeah. it was just one person like that, it would be fine. But when you have hundreds, uh, you tend to, you can lose your patience. Yeah, so I've I've read a, a, uh, about a few encounters in your book. One, one that actually I got to ask you about. So there's a 58 year old woman who base jumped from El Capitan. Yes. How uh, how could that even happen? Did did she survive? No, that was a protest. Uh, the base jumpers had uh, worked with the rangers, and the rangers were going to allow them to protest the regulation against base jumping off of El Capitan in Yosemite. And so she had borrowed a parachute. She was a skilled base jumper. But she, was a, okay. but she borrowed a parachute that day because when they landed, the arrangement with the rangers is when they landed in the meadow, the rangers were going to arrest them and confiscate their gear. So one theory is because she had a borrowed chute, something happened on her way down and she failed to pull the ring to set off the parachute and so it was a unintentional suicidal mission yes oh and were there uh tourists there and people did people see it yes yeah there were people watching um i write about the story in my book mary latell henson is the ranger who was there at the time and had to recover the body yeah when she hit the ground it set off uh car alarms oh, and a, a child started to cry um it's very sad horrible thing ah that's terrible so was that one of your mo probably your most or i guess one of the more horrifying encounters that you heard about in the parks um no i have so many myself uh one that i responded to was a flash flood in arizona it killed 11 people i had to recover several of those bodies um it was very unfortunate sad we had lots of uh airplane crashes, uh, a former employee of mine, Kel Schaefer, who I love very much, died in an airplane crash on Mount Denali. Uh, um, so unfortunately, I have a lot of, you know, dark things uh, from my time as a ranger. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've read that you said that a lot of rangers are almost like therapists in a way. They can conduct uh, CISDs, a critical yes. incident stress debriefings. Yes, it's exactly right. I have friends who did that, and obviously, I went to several of those. Oh, that must be that must just be terrible. I mean, at that point, you're you know, ranger, law enforcement slash psychotherapist, and then dealing with grieving families. It's, it's yeah, be a they, thankless job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it can be rewarding too, mm. I think. But one of the terms we would call it a grief sponge. A grief sponge. Mm -hmm. Ah, very descriptive. So, yeah. what what is? Uh, I guess uh, getting into like I I've read about some like weird occurrences in uh, the national parks. I believe this one was near Yosemite, possibly the Sierras. Did you ever come across a lot of like either sex traffickers or perverts or any like weird people <laughs> like that? 
Yeah, unfortunately, um, the beach parks are famous for it. Um, you know, I encountered men who were masturbating on the beach. Um, uh, also, my friend Mary, who I write about in the book, she found a guy that they called the baby powder bandit. He was masturbating in the car in the woods. Um, and unfortunately, also just some violent, you know, pedophiles would some we would sometimes catch them with young children in the park um taking them camping the parents had let this guy take the children camping oh man did you with, did you arrest them um i didn't but i write about that story a ranger chris fours encountered that individual and he didn't get the criminal history back in time you know that told him this guy was a pedophile and then when he got that information, he tried to chase the guy. He had already left the park. He was uh, eventually caught, and the boys uh, were returned to their families. Oh, man. Yeah, I read a story about a guy who was hiding inside, literally inside an outhouse, and videotaping uh, women as they're going to the bathroom. Yes, I've heard that one, too. And he was, like, wearing, like, scuba gear. Like, yeah, I couldn't I've imagine. What do you do too. about when you encounter someone like that? Yeah, I don't understand the um, appeal. Yeah. that <laughs> to yeah. each their own, I guess. I guess to each their own, exactly. Yeah. So, how does one become lost? I guess what is lost person behavior? Like, how does like what yeah. do, is there like a typical pattern of behavior of most lost people? Um, there, there's a good book, lost person behavior by a PhD who studied this and you can put some probabilities on what uh, a lost person might do. Often they get lost at a decision point, you know, where they should have gone right, but they go left. Um, they often are found, you know, in Yosemite, two drainages over from where they got lost. Um, but some, but there's, you know, there's always the exception. Some will go downhill or others will go uphill. So you can't, bank too much on on some of those myths or probabilities because it's possible your person that you're searching for did the exact opposite yeah and it's it's random so when you're searching for them do you guys you know is it all helicopter based are you with dogs on on foot um it's all the above we usually get a, at grand canyon and yosemite you usually get a helicopter up very quickly um, also, you, you call in dogs, uh, use divers, uh, ground searchers go out very quickly. Um, sometimes you get a tracker. It, it, those are the biggies that you tend to use the most. Uh, now, today, they're using drones. Oh, yeah, and drones. I guess it makes sense. Well, you could probably use the GPS location on someone's phone. That is also, that's, we didn't, smartphones weren't around when I was a ranger, but yes, you're exactly right. Uh, using the cell phone pings are huge. But I know of a case right now I'm looking at where we have the cell phone pings and people are searching, still can't find the individual. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, maybe the cell phone, you know, was destroyed or damaged or something. So Yeah, or the battery went out. And so where that last ping is, it gives you an idea that they were in that area, but they could have traveled far from that area. So I want to chat about that, uh, David Pilates a bit. So David Pilates is a retired police officer and the creator of the Missing 411 series. Um, oftentimes when people you know, talk about national park disappearances, he's kind of like the expert witness here. Um, so he has some kind of uh, 
very interesting theories about uh, about uh, why people disappear and similarities. So one thing that he said, it's that most of the autopsies from recovered bodies come back inconclusive and pathologists aren't able to determine the cause of death. And that and this supports some of some of his theories about like alien interference or paranormal abduction or uh, or even creatures that feed on humans. What, what do you think of that? Well, I appreciate what his work. He's he, and that he's brought a lot of attention to this problem. Um, but you know, when you recover a body that's been out there for a while, the decay is going to limit the medical examiner's uh, ability to determine cause of death, especially if it was something like dehydration, mm. you know, and not a fall. Um, you know, Americans have a low tolerance for ambiguity. We want answers to these things. But just because we fail to find the evidence that gives us a definitive conclusion doesn't mean there's a supernatural explanation. Um, I think that's missing the point. I think when we fail to find these hikers or to understand what happened to them, the real point is what this was really telling us is that nature's in charge. We aren't. And so when you go out there, you need to respect that. Yeah, that's true. It, he was saying that there's a lot of similarities with some of the people, or I guess some of the bodies that are recovered, like they're near bodies of water, um, berry bushes, and uh, some people were being um, found like miles away from where they vanished. Um, wh- how does that happen? Well, water, lots of reasons. There's a lot of water out there, especially in certain forests. Like, let's say you're in the Pacific Northwest. Water's everywhere. So when you're found, you're going to be near it. Yeah. Um, and same with berry bushes in the Pacific Northwest. They're everywhere in the mountains. Um, what was, let's see, the other, what was the other one? Well, the, were... the distance between the bodies. So, like, I, I think oh. I read about, like, a one missing toddler turned up dead or deceased 12 miles from where he vanished. And between those 12 miles were two mountain ranges and creeks, which is much too far for a toddler to venture on his own. Yeah, I'd have to study that case. That is intriguing. Um, I assume there's some explanation, but, you know, whether it was an animal or water moved to the remains. But I would have to study that case before I could really comment on it. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's, there's been a few cases like that. Or, or oftentimes people have said that people show up wearing, you know, missing their clothing or uh, wearing different clothes. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever encountered that? Well, yeah. Yeah. Often the animals, if they move the body, the clothing is going to get, you know, a distance from the body. If someone has hypothermia, there's something called paradoxical undressing. They sometimes take off their clothes when there's this flush of a heat feeling right before they die. Hmm. Um, The different clothing, also what I'm seeing in these cases, is the witness sightings and even the memories of the family or the people who are with the missing person. They don't often know for sure what that was wearing. So their memories aren't perfect. So if they have different clothes, it just means they change clothes you know, prior to what this witness remembers. Yeah, they, you know, people, you know, under strange conditions do strange things. I think that's a lot of it, like panicked mountain climbers and people that are lost, you know, might be reacting to their environment, a defense mechanism or, or something like that. Um, you know, I've, I've read a couple, David uh, Pilati has also mentioned that some accounts of people who said that the trails within parks have changed mysteriously 
and instantly without warning. Do you also attribute that to like lost person behavior? Yes, it's even I, you know, I've got over 5,000 miles on my feet. Even I get disoriented sometimes when I'm out hiking, you know, like you go one way and you turn around and come back the other way. It doesn't look the same. Um, this is just normal a situation out there in the woods. Yeah. And especially like as it gets darker. I mean, everything is yeah, just Yeah, the dark. conditions change. The shadows are always changing. Um, you know, winter is different than summer. Um, it's eerie, you know, to the human mind, but that doesn't mean there's a portal to the underworld there. Yeah. So, so do you, do people talk about, I guess, among, rangers amongst themselves, has anyone ever, do you have like that one wacky ranger who's like, oh, I've seen a Bigfoot or I've seen a Wendigo <laughs> or something? Like, have you ever encountered that? Uh, rangers are pretty down to earth, practical people, Yeah. but, but that they do have stories of things that we can't explain. Um, there is one area in the Grand Canyon that I myself am very superstitious of. It's called the Sipapu. Um, it, the Hopi believe it is a portal to the underworld, and whites and women aren't supposed to see it. And yeah. I tried to go to that place and got a very bad fear and dread and, and turned around. I know stories of people who visited it that, you know, some went, uh, had like a temporary insanity. Some were struck by lightning. Many got violently ill, vomiting, um, nausea, things like that. So that is one area that rangers are very superstitious about. Hmm. Probably the, the superstitions that rangers hold the most are in line with Native American legends. Native um, American. They tend to put some credence into those dark warnings. But they seem like they're, you know, the, the legends have been around for a long time. Yeah, so. they're probably there to try to protect us. They, they're stories to try to warn us of hazards in nature. Yeah, I've seen the movie Pet Cemetery, and I was definitely uh, warned by that. <laughs> near there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell me, uh, how, would you, how do you recommend preparing for a hike in a national park? Like for uh, an experienced hiker, even an experienced hiker, what should they do to avoid... I guess, disappearing or, be, or being lost? Well, one, one thing that a lot of us are suggesting now, especially on long hikes, is to get an inReach, a GPS device that you can, you know, alert. Uh, if you're in danger, you just push a button and it'll, it'll call for help. Uh, study the conditions, you know, study the trail like your life depends on it. Um, be prepared with a jacket, no matter if it's warm, still bring a jacket and a backpack and water, maybe a power bar. Um, I tend to always carry a fire starting supplies um, and insect spray just with me really anytime I go more than five miles from the road. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Is it better to hike uh, in groups or at least in pairs? People say that I'm, I personally, love to hike alone. I believe you can be prepared. It's a, it's a joy that I'm just not willing to give up hiking solo. So I'm not one of these people that, that says never hike alone. I think if you do hike alone, though, you want to be prepared because if you get in trouble, um, you need yeah. tools to survive until someone can find you. And that's the thing. It's not like you could just pick up your cell phone and call 911. Not always. Sometimes yeah. you can't, but some, there are often places where that you cannot do that. 
Well, Andrew, thanks for uh, chatting with us. Um, uh, people, you can follow uh, Andrew Linkford on Twitter at um, Andrew underscore Linkford. And also uh, check out her books. Uh, one, one book I'm definitely going to have to pick up is Haunted Hikes, which is spine-tingling tales and trails from North America's national parks. Do you talk about this uh, a Hopi location in that book? The Hopi, the Sipapu is in both of my books. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Are, are most parks, do most of them have Native American, I guess, uh, legends and warnings about them? Uh, I would, I would say most, just some more than others. Some parks just seem to be more trouble than others, and those are the parks that tend to have the scariest legends. Which one do you think in particular, Yosemite or, or uh, Grand Canyon? Uh, you know, they could duke it out. Those both could uh, <laughs> contend with each other. Probably Yosemite maybe has the most scary Indian legends, though. All right, I'll have to check that out. And Andrew has written a book, Ranger Confidential, Living, Working, and Dying in the National Parks. Uh, two very cool books. Um, both available on Amazon, I imagine? Yes. And your website, andrealangford.com? Yes. Andrea, thanks for being on the show. It's been Thank uh, you, a lot of fun chatting with you. You too. All right, take care. Well, this is Jim Rose of the Jim Rose Circus, and uh, before I put my face in broken glass and let somebody stomp on the back of my head, I have to listen to Sick and Wrong. You know, I've never been to Yosemite. I've always wanted to check it out. But uh, she was, I mean, she was saying that it's like, you know, a hotbed of paranormal activity. But also, I mean... California is a populous state, so it's like you had Carrie Stainer, the serial killer there. I'm sure there's a lot of perverts, you know, that camp there. So it's I could see why a lot of weird shit would happen in Yosemite. Sure. Um, but I kind of want to find that portal, though, in the Grand Canyon. We should try that out. We should try that out, yeah. I just don't know if, if I... If you do the canoe through that river or something, maybe we can find it, you know? God, I just don't know if I could do a fucking, like, 12-hour hike. Yeah. And plus, do you know how to use a compass and shit like that? I'd have, sure. to, hi- I'd have to hire a Sherpa. Yeah. Or something. I don't know if I could find that. But anyway. They have those. I think we killed all our Sherpas. <laughs> we killed all know? the Sherpas? Yeah. I'd probably just go hire a crackhead. Mm. Thinking he's a Sherpa. Then I get lost and disappear. Um, anyway, people, go check out the book, Ranger Confidential by uh, Andrew Lankford. Uh, people, it's episode 694 here of Sick and Wrong. Uh, we have a couple of news stories coming up next. After that, we have some phone calls. But first, here's a Patreon promo by none other than Wilford Brimley. Hi, this is Wilford Brimley. And if you're anything like me, you can't get enough of Sick and Wrong. Sick and Wrong helps me with my diabetes. How's that? Because I subscribe to Sick and Wrong's Patreon. I get extra shows, extra phone calls, and it's just the right thing to do to support these two dirty fucking Jews. Again, I'm Wilford Brimley. Signing off for Sick and Wrong. Sign up for the Patreon. So the first story we have here uh, was submitted on Facebook. 
by a guy named Chris. He shared this link. He said, 10 years ago, this would have made it onto the show for sure. You know, Chris, I actually think that we might have done this story. I think we might have done this story like two or three years ago because it sounds so familiar. But then again, I might have just read it and forgot about it. Mm. You know, I don't know. It's a great right. story. Don't get me wrong. And to be honest, the story would would definitely get on the show these days too. Yeah, I don't um, know what people's problem is, but this whatever. Is, this is this is directly in the wheelhouse. This one, mm. yeah. a music teacher accused of filming himself ejaculating into flutes, skin flutes. Yeah. Um, music teacher from California has been accused of filming himself ejaculating into flutes before having students play them. That's gnarly. Yeah. That's gnarly. Yeah. That's gross. Uh, six-year-old John Edward Zaretsky uh, was, if you ever noticed that with pedophiles, you always have to do the middle name. You always have to do that with pedos. Yeah, I guess you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. they always have to. If you're a pedophile, you got to have a middle name. Mm. John Edward Zaretsky was indicted in, in March for suspected lewd acts involving two Orange County girls and three girls in uh, Los Angeles County, all of whom are under the age of 14. So we're talking all right. about all, all of minors. And they're all exceptional flute players. Well, they were. Not anymore. No. They have some trauma. They play the saxophone or something. Uh, the teacher allegedly confessed... No Jethro Tull cover bands for them. Not for them. Definitely mm-hmm. not. The teacher uh. allegedly confessed to an online friend that his sexual fantasies were fulfilled by watching his pupils play semen-tainted flutes, which he distributed in 2017 to five girls. These girls were all attending elementary schools in Orange County. Now, was he trying to do a semen spell? A, a semen spell? Yeah. <laughs> what exactly is a semen spell? You know, he tries to do like a semen spell, you know, and then just ends up getting semen everywhere. I, I want to know, how do you put uh-huh. semen in a flute? Do you just like... Like, where would you put it on the reed end? Do you put it on the other end? Like, I don't Look, get I don't how know you enough do it. about flutes. I'm sorry. Well, you played a flute, haven't you? No. You've never played a flute. Why the fuck would I have ever played a flute, dude? <laughs> Someone <laughs> had to have given you a flute, like in fucking no. elementary school a or something. A recorder, maybe, but that's yeah, different. same deal. Aren't those no, the same thing? No, it's not. A fucking flute is a totally different instrument. You mutt. You are fucking out of your You're mind. Savage. They sound are exactly the same. It's got a like little fucking like, holes on it. And you hold it to the side. A recorder is just like a... You, it's a totally different keep thing. You're fucking blowing it. It's the same deal. You could no, put no, semen in either one. It's totally, I'm not even getting into this. Just keep going with this, all right? <laughs> I'm upset now because you're fucking ignorant about flutes. So wait, you've played semen recorders but not semen flutes. I've never played any semen instruments. <laughs> Which makes you, me you, wonder. You're just trying to pretend like there's no difference because you're trying to fuck with me. So let's just keep going here. All right. Makes me wonder, though. Do um, you think he tried to put semen in other instruments and then just kind of settled on the flute? Like, do you sure. think he, he tried the French horn and was like, ah, it's too big. You know, it's going to take too much semen. And then he tried like uh, the Jews harp and it's like, ah, oh, the semen is, you know, doesn't hide well in this one. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering like which instruments he tested out. I mean, music teachers have a whole arsenal of instruments. Um, he is said to have exchanged photos of his victims using the flutes 
with his online friend. <laughs> friend uh, or friends? Uh. No, it says just his online friend. Okay. He's got a friend that he talks to about his semen flutes. I have an online friend. <laughs> Named just... Jeremy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he and Jeremy get together and they watch videos of girls playing semen flutes. Mm. Um, according to the transcript here, that uh, this is as reported by the Orange County Registered, during her opening statement, Deputy Attorney General Amanda Casillas told the Orange County ju- jurors, and I was just thinking about this, I would have loved to get this to be on this trial. Yeah. When, uh, neither one of us would ever get a trial like this. This yeah. would have been amazing. I would have asked so many questions. Um, she says, you've been warned that this is a salacious and disturbing matter. There are going to be graphic images, including sexual content, where the victims are children. And it's very disturbing. All right, maybe that would have been a little stomach turning. But I would have loved to have, have like, a re, you know, like a fucking trial that's not just like insurance fraud. Because that's what yeah. most of them are, you know. She claimed the six-year-old man here was in a hotel room near the schools when he recorded and took photos and videos of himself ejaculating into the flutes. He then photographed students using those same instruments during workshops. Though by the time the flutes were collected by police and tested, there was no evidence of semen. He definitely destroyed the evidence. Yeah. I'm amazed that these kids, I mean, I guess, well, I don't know. I think at the, like around the age of like 12, you know, 10 to 12, I would have been like, there's something weird with this flute there, Mr. Zaretsky. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but it's leaking. I wouldn't have played it. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, uh, tend to, I tend to question authority even when I was a child. Uh, but this guy destroyed the evidence here because I think he was covering his tracks. The grand jury heard testimony from the victims as well as the other witnesses, including digital forensic examiners, law enforcement officers, a biological forensic analyst, medical professional, teachers, and Kenny G. Um, you didn't even hear that, did you? I heard, I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> you apply it. You know Kenny G. Also, he played the fucking. He didn't even play the flute. He yeah, he like did. Clarinet. No, he played the clarinet or the oboe or some shit. Dude, I will bet you my firstborn that Kenny G played a flute covered in semen at least twice. I don't think so. I bet you that guy did. He looks uh, like he did. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised they don't have like a single the clarinet. You fucking idiot. Well, I bet you there was semen on that clarinet. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm just surprised though. He didn't have like one music professor or someone like chiming in here. It's kind of uh, weird. You'd think you'd be like, well, it's kind of hard to play a flute when there's semen in it because you're not going to be able to get the right timber, you know, the right tone that you would get. Yeah. But maybe Sorry. not. Ask Jethro Tull. Um, it's not Jethro Tull. What's his name? Ian. Uh, Anderson. Name? Ian Anderson. Yeah. Zaretsky was also accused of inappropriately touching students in class, rubbing one victim's shoulders. That's what they all do. That's what all pedos do. Massaging her back and whispering to her that she was pretty. Ugh. Yeah, we had a, I remember uh, in, in high school, we had a lot of, we had like four molesters, four pedos in uh, the yeah. 
Essexville area, which school district, which is kind of crazy. But I think that happens a lot in you know small Midwestern towns because pedos kind of come in, they get busted, the school doesn't want to draw attention, so they're just like leave. But uh, Mr. McGulkey, who did go to prison for a while, he would do magic fingers. He'd come by and be like magic fingers and just rub your shoulders. All so right. unnerving. Teachers also accused him of engaging in constructive touching with his students. It's constructive, which I actually didn't know what that term meant. Constructive touching is, it's constructive when the perpetrator, without actually touching the victim, causes the victim to touch herself with an object, regardless of whether or not the perpetrator is present. Semen flutes right there. Okay. Yeah. Um, This is kind of funny. He founded a music program called Flutes Around the World. So this guy was just like tainting people across the globe here. Yeah. So authorities began collecting flutes from students after learning they may have been contaminated with semen following an investigation in 2017. Wow, that's a thankless job. I hope they wear gloves. But that's just like, yeah. Could you imagine like the sting operation there? Um. They uh, report that an earlier federal indictment alleged that Zaretsky coerced a girl to produce child porn and attempted to entice another person to send him uh, sexually explicit images. And he even traveled to the Philippines to engage in sex with minors. This guy looks exactly what you think a sex tourist would look like. He's a little thinner. Because I I always assumed that they'd be like bald and like corpulent. But this guy's actually kind of thin with a beard. Mm -hmm. But you know what he sort of looks like? He sort of looks like uh, Spielberg. Okay. Who yeah, does look guys. like a sex tourist? Yeah. You know? Like if Spielberg got busted going to Thailand, would you be surprised? I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't, I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't. Um, two years ago, law enforcement informed that, uh, uh, or I guess notified um, Superintendent Steve Doyle here of the shocking situation. And they were relieved were notified that the suspect violator was arrested. I'm sure this guy knew. There's no way this guy didn't know. I mean, you have this weird teacher who, who lives on his own, goes to the Philippines for two weeks. I don't know. I think it's a little weird. Yeah. I think they're, I'm thir- I guarantee all the teachers in that community is like, I knew this guy was a fucking pedo. Knew it. Um, I would have just been freaked out if I was another teacher that was like, you know, stopping by the music room to go play instruments and then you find out about that. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Uh, one district took immediate steps to cooperate with law enforcement's investigation and they worked to notify parents. Could you imagine having to call the parents and let them know about this? That's the worst. I, I don't know what I would do. I think I'd be like, full I think Charlie you could send Bronson. out a letter, form letter, you know, an email. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I would probably just send a telegram or something. Yeah. But I mean, could you imagine? I would go full Charlie Bronson. I would be so freaked out. Sure. I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't know what I would do. All right. Um, he pled not guilty to all state and federal charges and scheduled to return to court for a pretrial conference on August 14th. Hmm. Do they have a band in prison? Sometimes. Yeah. So maybe, yep. uh, who knows? Maybe he'll start up his own semen flute band in prison maybe we'll see maybe we'll see play the semen tambourine semen tambourine it's a good song um what do you have here for the second story man 20 threatened ex's new boyfriend 
before he and his family murdered him. Ow, murder family. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's a, it's a real serious murder family, too. All right. So a court heard that the close-knit family were armed to the teeth with baseball bats and knives when they allegedly attacked 18-year-old Jay Sewell in December. All right. Jay Sewell. Where did this happen? This in the UK. Somewhere. In the UK. All right. Yeah. A jealous lover bombarded his ex with death threats against her new boyfriend before teaming up with his family to murder him. Wow. That's a tight Bailey family Herd. unit. That that's is. A, that's a tight family unit. I don't think I the rabbi ever any, done that. Yeah, I couldn't get anyone in my family to help me murder, you know, my, a my sister rival. I think my sister maybe, but my brother, he's too lazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, jury heard that Jay Sewell, 18, was fatally stabbed last year by a nine-strong group, including uh, wow. Daniel Joe Grogan, 20 years old, after Gemma Hodder started seeing the teenager. God, that's like a clan, like a medieval, like Anglo-Saxon clan. Yeah, or like a, like a, you know, Hatsfields and McCoys kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Kind of deal. A, a clan of, a family of chabs. Yeah, yeah. Man. The weapons they wielded included knives, baseball bats, and a four-foot-long fireman's axe. <laughs> what the fuck do they have baseball bats for? What about the cricket wickets? Or cricket bats. I yeah, I don't know, man. But the, apparently, Grogan had spread his poison to friends and members of his close knit family, who were armed to the teeth when they said about Mister Sewell. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear that conversation. This guy's a right bastard. And you gotta like, come help me. Well, here's the here's the whole crew. It's amazing. <laughs> Grogan, along with parents Robert, 57, and Anne, 54, so his dad and his mom. And his mom. <laughs> yeah. Siblings Peter, 22, Francesca, 29, cousin Liam Hickey, who's 19, a 16-year-old boy who cannot be named for whatever reason, <laughs> Francesca's boyfriend, uh, Jesus Christ, and another man, Charlie Dudley. <laughs> they all deny wow. it. So, I mean, yeah. this wasn't just like, you know, his brothers, you know, like his his brothers, they're all like in their 20 something or something. It's like his mom, his dad, his brother, his, his... I couldn't even summon enough people to help me move like a really heavy couch. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let alone like assemble a fucking murder squad. Wow. Yeah. Oh, God. So jurors uh, heard Daniel Grogan sent Ms. Hodder a flurry of messages in the days leading up to the killing, warning, I swear on everything, he's a dead man, Gemma. Uh, yeah, so between uh, 1237 and, and fucking 2004, apparently, uh, Grogan sent 45 unanswered texts to Ms. Hodder's phone. These included, I'll put a bullet straight through his head on my niece's life. That's a promise. <laughs> you know he had like a, a South London accent or something. Oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I guess it's, yeah. Gonna bash and, his fucking head in. Yeah. I'll sma and then he also said, uh, I'm gonna smash his house up, yeah? And <laughs> set it on fire and I'll stab the shit out of him. I promise you on my niece's life. Uh, Wait, I, I should I should just start swearing things on my niece's life. <laughs> <Who is laughs> I just, 
<laughs> I kind of like that actually. You even yeah. oh yeah, you have a I niece. Do. I do have a niece. I can just yeah, start should. swearing things. Yeah. So what? What's who's his girlfriend? Lady Sovereign. What's her? What's her name again? Gemma Hodder. Je- is she? Is she attractive? I don't know. Huh. It's, a good, it's a good goddamn question. I just wonder if it's worth bashing some guy's head in. Uh, let's see here. Let's see if we can find a, a, a old pick of the old girl. Um. I mean, nothing to, nothing to really... Nothing to write home you know. about. But what about for like uh, not, a northern not bird? Bad, you know? Oh, okay, all yeah, right. It's all right, you know, nothing nothing special, you know? <laughs> I feel bad now, I don't know. You know, whatever. <laughs> She's fine. She looks great. You okay. Know, what do you want? What are you going to give her, like a 7 out of 10? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. Right? Would you? All right, would you let her play your semen flute? Maybe. She plays her cards right, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Ms. Hodder simply responded, "He's not scared." Whoa, he talking about her new, her new boyfriend? Yeah, she's new stoked in the fire. Boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Who was just like this, like you know, hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the one of we, the. Defense Wait. attorneys asked Ms. Hodder, Jay's not scared. Is that what you thought at the time? She well, you replied, know, he, yes. he, probably, he probably was like, yeah, fuck that guy. I'll fuck him up. Little did he know, it's the whole family involved yeah. here. You know, he didn't yeah, know. Little was... did he know, it's fucking the goddamn Leatherface family. <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean? <laughs> the Leatherface clan here. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because that's happened to me. Where it's like, oh, my ex-boyfriend, he said he's going to kill you. And it's like, yeah, he'll have to get in line, sweetheart. You know what I mean? Like, I've yeah, been in like that situation. But it's like, But if Jesus you knew it was Christ. a whole family, like a murder family? I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know about that. So, uh, so she was fighting back tears on the stand. Jurors also heard Grogan threatened Ms. Hodder's um, family, claiming... I'll send 30 ninjas through your front door, you nerd. What? That's not yeah. even Chav slang. I, look, I don't know. That's what he said. I'll send 30 ninjas from, through your front door, you nerd. Yeah, and it wasn't ninjas, but you, you get my idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. He was, okay, all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also weird, because I don't right. even think they normally use that word out in, I in the I think they do. I think they grime folk probably do i imagine i don't know like the, does a dizzy rascal use that term I, I i don't know i guess i don't know either wow so I'm happy said, with my current level of knowledge about that do you think this guy actually has 30 ninja friends though i doubt it he had plenty you know what i mean <laughs> well he had plenty he's got a he's got a very close-knit family unit yeah he showed up with a whole gang of folk you know <laughs> what's his mom gonna do does she have a baseball bat they all had bats and knives and shit you know it's like it sounds like double dragon you know what i mean <laughs> like literally that's what it sounds like it sounds like double dragon where you gotta fight like a whole bunch of weirdos who have like chains and knives you know wasn't there like a big tough woman that had like a whip yes and you had to fight her too yeah yeah, I, I, either it was, I think so. Or are we thinking of Streets of Rage? 
Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Streets of Rage. I'm thinking of Streets of Rage. I'm sure there was a woman you had to fight in Double Dragon. I hope to Christ there was, you know? <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, so Ms. Hodder frowned and shook her head as the messages were read out in court. Jurors were told that the day before the killing, uh, Grogan messaged Ms. Hodder saying, I'm going to stamp all over you, you fucking little slag. Man, you wronging. You wronging. I wonder where she met this guy. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I don't know. Uh, Half an hour later, he sent her another message saying, watch when someone gets deaded over this. They're going to get deaded. Deaded. quick. Yeah, deaded. (laughs) So this guy's like fucking, you know. She's a right slag. He's going to get deaded. The world of academic science loses a great mind when this guy goes to prison. So, you know, it's a real shame. Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate. We're not going to we're going to miss out on another Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Nine seconds later, he added, and it will be Jay. I promise you. If there was any doubt there. Uh, On the day of the killing, Ms. Hodder's mother had warned her to stay away from Grogan. I seriously don't want you to have any contact with him at all. He's too unpredictable, (laughs) she wrote. Minutes later, Grogan messaged Ms. Hodder saying, He will die or eat through a straw for six months. Yeah? (laughs) Uh, Quite a threat. It is. Ms. Hodder responded saying, You're the least bait kid in the world. All they got to do is look at Jay's phone and know who's behind it. Yeah. Did it, if I was Jay, I would have just peaced out. Kid. Do you know what that means? I don't what even kid, know. The kids are saying now. The All least, right. what, made kid? Bait. 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 The least yeah. bait kid. See, that's the thing. This is like Chav's slang. Like, you have to get like a uh, Lady Sovereign record or something to try to figure this out. Because okay. I, I don't know, I don't quite understand what this. So you're the least baked kid. She's probably saying like you're the least intelligent kid, or something. Oh, when something is made blatantly obvious. Okay, you know, not, not to change I think the she subject. Was utilizing sarcasm. But okay. have you heard the yeah. term "dead ass"? What does that mean? I have. Somebody said that recently. Did, yeah, the guy he... that that sang the cowboy song that you seem to like oh, right. so much. He came. Yes. I guess he came out yesterday or something on twitter and he was like dead ass i thought it was obvious right so does dead ass mean like i'm deadly serious yes that's what it means when a new york ninja is serious is dead dead, serious is dead ass yep Uh, that's very interesting i didn't know that there you go there you go learning new slang every day yeah so uh the Grogans of Lee, Southeast London, uh, and the 16-year-old, a bunch of people, they all deny the murder. The trial continues. The whole family has like 20 teeth. Yeah. Um, I just wonder, like the boyfriend here, Sewell, that, that was killed and stabbed. As soon as this crazy boyfriend was like saying, like, I'm going to get my family and stab you and whatever else, like, you're going to drink through a straw. I would have been like, you know what? I'm done here. <laughs> We go find yeah. another one on Tinder. Right. Like, it's just not worth my time. 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was in love or something. But you know what probably was more more likely is he was like, oh, fuck you, mate. I'll fuck you up. Because that's how the sure. English guys are. They don't even give right. a shit. Yeah. Like, they really don't. Even in the face of, like, ultimate adversity, facing a whole family, it's like, I'll fucking kill a lot of you. Right. And the next thing you know, they're getting smashed in the face with baseball bats and stabbed. It's, it's hubris. That's what it is. Next thing you know, you're in fucking double dragon. You know, <laughs> I used to love how uh, you could grab them by the neck and just pound yeah. them with your knees, like yeah, knee good. to the face. Yeah, yeah, that was a great game. What were those games called? Like side scrollers, side scroller beat 'em ups. I think side scroller beat 'em ups, and they're very yeah. popular. Remember, like, uh, wasn't there like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one? There was the Simpsons Ninja one. It was great. Yeah, the Simpsons, Simpsons one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, God, those games are very popular. And plus, you yep. could play with your friends. Like, there's an X-Men one. Yep. I remember that. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Anyway, people send your stories to podcast at gmail.com. We have phone calls to get to, 323-522-4032. But first, uh, here's a word from Adam and Eve. Hey, kids, do you like sex toys? Yeah! Then go to adamandeve.com and make a purchase using coupon code DIDDLE. You'll get 50% off your first item, three free adult DVDs, free shipping, and a gift so sensual I can't even mention it on this podcast about murder and bukkake. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E, like your uncle used to do to you. So we got a few phone calls to get to. People call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032. Remember to keep it under three minutes. Uh, this first call is from a guy, actually, who was a very active member of the forum back in the day. I didn't even, okay. you know, I forgot about the forum. I, I assume it's like festering with a bunch of incels somewhere on the internet. Yeah. But yeah, you this was even before your time. Even Wackerly hated the forum after a while because it started out as an area where like you know, girls would come on and show their breasts. And then right. some some people even like started dating from the forum and uh you know, it was an area where you know everybody can kind of like congregate and discuss gross things. And then it sort of like became this like misogynistic hellhole. Hmm. Where just incels would get together and just like as soon as any girl signed up for it, they would be like, tits or get the fuck out and just say really rude shit. And so eventually we're like, mm. you know what? Fuck it. We're going to stop sending people to this awful place. And then I gotcha. forget what happened to it. So uh, mm. apparently this guy maybe is still on it. So here he is. The sodomizer. Sick and wrong. It's the sodomizer from the forums. Um, I think at this point it's just... Me and Iron Man for Zuzu is not responding to any of my messages. Um, but anyway. Iron Man, that was another very active forum member. Forgot about that guy. Okay. Too. Years ago, mm. I didn't even know. I wonder if he still listens. Anyway, I was calling because I have a little bit of, a, I guess, a combination of Big Fat Gay and then a classic T. Simon Spreed against a population of people. Uh, so. I called in, I was like four or five months ago, three months ago-ish, about uh, being pegged by a black, black chick and how much there was kind of a turn-on for me. So it turns out I was on uh, Bubble the other day, that's uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, and I had a match with a trans girl. So it was a, a dude that became a female, 
He was on what the other day? He was on Bumble, and I guess he ended up matching with like a trans girl. Okay. And and then I love how he explains what a trans girl is. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) I was I was totally lost there. I'm glad it's always nice when more woke people educate us. You know. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. There's tits, long hair, real hair. And I just was like, fuck it. So I, I went after it. We had sex a couple of times. I actually kind of... Did he say... Is he referring to this trans woman with the pronoun it? it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think they love that. Yeah. They really do appreciate that. I mean, if, if she's some kind of like immortal, shape-shifting uh, demon from space that feeds on children's fear then I, that would be the correct pronoun. But other than that, it's a little yeah. dicey. So. Enjoyed it. So I guess my first question, if you guys want to do an Is That Gay segment, is that, does that make me gay? Because I'm still attracted to women, but I will have sex with a dude with boobs? I can hear Harrison just sigh on the other end. Yes. How many times have you been asked this question on this show alone? So stupid. So stupid. <laughs> Mr. Sodomizer here is questioning whether or not he's homosexual. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to even answer that. Yep, that's what it means. It means you're wearing fucking yellow chaps at the BET Awards and you're going to the fucking Blue Oyster you know, bar. You're you're right? playing that's, base that's of the village means. people now, wearing an yep, Indian headdress. You, you are you are completely gay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And even though you claim that you still like having sex with uh, biological females, you're lying to yourself, buddy. Yeah. You're in the village people. For the dick. And then the other thing that I have to complain about is that in an effort to further pursue uh, my trans, I guess, affliction, addiction, something like that nowadays. Wait, affliction? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so this guy's great. He doesn't know if it's an affliction or an addiction. Right? Yeah, it's an, yeah, I think it's a little bit yeah. of both. Okay. Um, so this guy's into to banging trans girls. He refers yeah, he to them like, as he it. He sounds like he's becoming a chaser. Yeah, he know? refers to him as it, and now he's yeah. saying it's an affliction, like leprosy or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking maybe that might be why you're not su- that successful at banging trans girls. Right. But I might be wrong. It's a on Blinder. And I live in Austin, which is pretty open, pretty liberal. A lot of gay people here. We had a great gay pride month here. Um... I have found that trans women are so much more fucking pretentious than men. I'm sorry, not men, but more pretentious than regular chicks. Like, I have had zero luck nailing another tranny, and I've gotten laid two or three more times with chicks on bubble. Like, it seems like they hold themselves to this higher standard. And my impression, and maybe we can bring Jeffrey in on this, was that if you're on Grindr, you're there to fuck. And that's not the case. Like, these, these the trans a, yeah. girls on Grindr, they, I don't know, it's, it's a very frustrating situation. Uh, it's a lot harder to get laid, it seems like. And don't get me wrong, I get sent, like, dick and ass and ball pictures all day by gay men. 
But trying to nail a trans chick on Grinder is fucking impossible. Anyway, keep it sick, keep it wrong. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. So have you ever done that? Have you ever actually successfully banged a trans girl from Grinder? Yes, I have. So I'm glad you asked, D. Yes, I have. <laughs> well, the one, I guess the one thing I was and, wondering... And I've also successfully trans men as well. On, uh, okay. From Grinder or from Bumble? Yeah, from Grinder. So yep. I which figured... Is kinda like, which is kind of like just having sex with like Justin Bieber with a vagina, basically. Yeah, it's just kind of like a really butchy yeah. woman. Um, yeah, but, uh, so what I've often wondered is like on Tinder, when you'd see a lot of trans girls on Tinder and uh, a lot of other girls too, I always thought they were hooking, like they were escorts. Sometimes depends. Don't you you think this guy would have a little more success with escorts? Yes. So, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe fail with escorts, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, maybe he doesn't want to do, doesn't want to pay for it. But that you think be, that this guy, if he really wants to, you know, have occasional sex with a random trans girl, just pay for it. Yeah, pay for it because because he's. It sounds like he's a chaser, and they don't like chasers. You know, they liked me because I don't really give a shit. You know, I was just on a lot of meth, and you know, I had drugs to spare, and I was just eager for any kind of a fucking, you know, kinky hookup at the time you know so i wasn't really like a chase they don't like chasers you know it's kind of like a lot of girls like asian girls hate dudes that have some crazy asian fetish yes like it's a turn off so imagine these trans girls who uh, meet a guy that's just just fetishizes them it's a turn off because it's just like well i don't want to deal with this unless you're an escort because then you're gonna be making money right so i'm thinking this guy should just fucking pay for it and then he can continue to pretend he's straight by having sex with biological women and every Uh now and then you know shell out a few bucks to uh, bang a trans woman seems like that would work sure what what do you suggest like how how do you uh shag a trans girl on grinder like what, what what do you suggest you do well it depends there are some that are like you know ultra weird fashionable creatures that look like somehow like more that look like living gods or goddesses or something. You know what I mean? They're like more attractive than any man or woman you've ever seen. There are those people. Then there are like the weird, like almost like modern primitive, like the kind of goth and kind of like some kind of creature. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's all sorts, you know, there's all sorts, all sorts of, I mean, if you want to go low ball, get some drugs, Everybody likes drugs, you know? Yeah, maybe that's where you go get some G or something. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, or blow or whatever. Yeah. I think that um, might work. Drugs definitely work. Yeah. Math. But you got yeah, you to change. You, you're, you're clearly a, a chaser and they don't, you know, they don't dig that. So, you know. So maybe, do chasers usually refer to trans women as it? <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's... <laughs> That's a new level of, uh, yeah, something. You might want to drop that yeah. and just start saying she. Yeah. If, if you want to, yeah. Maybe, maybe. Or she or, she or whatever. She. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. maybe, maybe start something. there or yeah. something. There I, I think what you should do is just pay for it. and Or, you know, maybe befriend a couple trans girls. Yes. 
you know, That's start hanging out with a couple, be cool, meet a couple, yeah. give them, I think drugs also help there too. And then, uh, yeah. then you can shag their friends. Yeah. You know, that's a good idea. All right. Next call we have here is, uh, I don't even quite remember what this call is about. I just, it just says R Kelly bisexual question mark. Great. So we'll see. Uh, g'day. It's, uh, Fanny from Melbourne here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to point out episode 598. This guy calls up. And you guys are like saying, no, my bullshit detector's going off, and no, no way it sounds right. And, and forgive me if you guys have addressed this, uh, because I'm pretty fucking new to po- like podcast, and I'm jumping in around like 2017 and am backtracking from this year. But long story longer, uh, He's talking about R. Kelly and going home with R. Kelly and R. Kelly, like, peeing in his butt. And, um, Do you recall this at all? I vaguely remember that. Wait, it was some time ago, I feel like. We said episode 598, so that's, like, yeah, yeah. almost 100 episodes ago. Yeah, um, I remember but that, it's, yeah. He went home, and R. Kelly urinated in his anus. Right. Yeah, it did sounded uh, silly, yeah. I'm losing my mind because I would have, yeah. you'd think I'd remember something like this. Right. But I guess I don't. It was a long time ago, but I'm kind of, I still, my bullshit detector is still going off here. Yeah. Although, although we, you know, we can say that uh, since then it has come to light that um, R. Kelly does have bisexual tendencies. Is he? He's bisexual? Um, well, he has bisexual tendencies. Remember, he he had so many women that he started making his women some of his women boys. Remember that? Oh wait, we he made them look that. like boys. Yeah, yeah. But the, like he, I don't and, think he's like sucking dick. Look, I don't know. Well, maybe you know? who knows? Actually, I do know he likes I'm to not urinate one of his on bodyguards. Things. D, I don't know the whole story. All right. But, well, he likes to piss on things, so maybe he is sucking dick. Who knows? Possible. Yeah. You know, urinating on things is a gateway sucking his dick and now it's 2019 uh, a couple of years later and um, his tour manager is saying that he's bi and alright I guess I stand corrected yeah. so maybe he is he's bi now I guess no he is yeah All right, not we, know, we know this that doesn't mean that like somebody who happened to go home with them had the most ridiculous, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you were like going to make something up about R. Kelly, the most ridiculous thing would be like, yeah, he peed in my butthole, you know? <laughs> and that's like the silliest thing you could make up, right? And that just happens to be what happened to this random fucking guy, huh? Well, didn't okay. R. Kelly write a song called Trapped in the Closet? It wasn't a song. It was um, an R&B opera. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I could see him being. Uh, That's not what it was about, but whatever. Was it yeah. about pissing in men's buttholes? No, it was not about that. <laughs> Do you wish it was? <laughs> That'd be interesting. That'd be that would have made it more entertaining. I feel like, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I reckon you should backtrack and say, "Oh fuck, maybe that guy was." telling the truth when he <laughs> went home with fucking R. Kelly and 
in Sakutik. Just saying. I'll probably call back again at some Great. other time. Anyway, uh, keep up the good work and uh, take care. Okay, well, you know what? I would love for that guy who shared the story originally to call in and tell yeah. us about other R. Kelly encounters. I think it was just that one. That one? But yeah. I wonder, I would you like to know how. to look out and get the weirdest thing on the menu when he went, <laughs> went there, you know? <laughs> well, I think scat yeah. would have been the weirdest thing. Okay, yeah. That would have been kind of cool, too. Maybe that's what Trapped in the Closet's about. Um, all right, we have one more call here from uh, another one of Harrison's favorite callers. Marshall Island Tony, but with a clean, a clean story. All right. He's cleaning up his act because he knows how much it bothers you. Okay. So this is uh, Marshall Island Tony attempting to deliver a clean narrative to, uh, to impress Harrison. Hey, it's your award-winning Marshall Islands reporter again. First, to clear something up. Well, I'd been in the Marines before, but when I was in the Marshall Islands, I was not in the military. I was working for a defense contractor, as were the vast majority of the Americans out there. Same so, fucking shit. Yeah, no, if you're a contractor yeah. working for the military, you're more or less in the military. Yeah, you might as well be. Come on. Yeah. So split hairs. Since you do not have to be in the military to live in the Marshall Islands, and since I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners are dying to get out there by now, I'm going to tell you how... One asshole got out there anyway. And also, yes, I am scraping the very bottom of the barrel with my Marshall Island stories, so I gotta stretch it out, stretch Agony out and save them for another day. So hopefully this call won't be too much for a certain perverted junkie crack whore. Um, regardless, um, I was working up in a Marshall Island, Tony called you a perverted junkie crack whore. Shrug. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he's talking about me. Alaska, one year and uh Oh yeah. Harrison, since you're such a gentleman and a scholar, if you're real nice to me, um sometime I might grace you with a call about the flora and fauna of Alaska. You have the you know, the the Aleut, the Eskimo, the Indian and you know, other native species that could be a lot of fun for a few beers, but I digress. Um, I like how Marshall Island Tony is just this depraved pervert who travels the world to have sex with natives. Yeah. Like, that's like his mission. Like, you know, some people like collect tattoos or travel with K-pop bands. He no, just it's like out. it's like if fucking Rudyard Kipling and fucking R. Kelly recorded an album together. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a fucking Marshall Island Tony call, basically. <laughs> No. So anyway, one day I, I saw this ad in the paper for helicopter mechanics overseas, so I I sent in the resume just for shits and giggles, and I'd totally forgotten about it when a few months later I finally get this packet in the mail saying, hey, you know, you got a job in the Marsh Islands. Come on out. All expenses paid. So I'm thinking, shit, you know. Were you ever tempted to do that? Like, do you have friends who went to Japan to teach English? Yeah. You know, I... I had a couple friends. Or so I, I was friends. always tempted to do that because that's always like the last resort of the lost soul, or at least you mean one just of to them. like escape the country, go to a different yeah. country, and start yep. over. Yeah, yeah. Like I had a a friend that went to Thailand. He's still there. He's like I don't know, probably a couple years older than me. Bangs mm -hmm. all his twenty one year old, twenty two year old Thai chicks that he teaches English to. Right. 
And he's like, he's like, I'll never come back to America. Why? <laughs> like, I guess he has yeah. a point there. This is way too easy. And plus, now what the hell's in the Marsh Islands? So, you know, because I never, you know, never filled out an application and went for an interview, anything like that. So I, uh, I had um. This is like early mid nineties before you know the internet and sick and wrong had taken over the world. So. I remember back then, you used to have to mail resumes. Yeah. Or fax them. Do you remember that? Faxing a resume? I, I remember it. God. Yeah. I head down the library for information. And anyway, but all I could find was this, was a, this part in this travel book. It had some little section on the Marshall Islands. And it wasn't too encouraging, but towards the end, it mentioned something about the high VD rates on, I think, syphilis on um, Evi, which was next to the island where um, I worked on. And a, a, like a bell went off in Marshall Islands, Tony's lizard brain. Yeah. I was like, well, that means they fuck. I'm there, bro. So I thought, uh, what the heck? If um can't get laid there, you probably can't get laid in the morgue. So... I took the job and I went from the Arctic pussy to the tropical pussy in one fell swoop. Which How is, is this a clean story? I'm probably sorry. Down with my life this is the same award. fucking thing as every other goddamn story. It's just an origin story. Yeah, but Don't it's the origin story. Kiss in my fucking butthole and tell me it's raining, you mutt. <laughs> full of shit. But I think, I think what he's doing here is uh -huh. he's giving us the origin of the depravity. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's but he's not going into detail about going like how into many a times hut. You see Spider-Man's origin in a movie. You know what I mean? But he's not going into a hut and like, you know, diddling these like 13-year-old girls in front of their parents and grandparents. He's talking about the same shit. All right, let's just fucking get through this. My cat is bothering me. So let's just hurry up. <laughs> so, uh, no, of course, I haven't talked to the newt in a long time. And I'm sure she's over the hill and crashed down the other side by now but she's not complaining so i say so. <laughs> wait what he, he's saying he hasn't talked to the newt in I a while i'm sure that's what he said yep. the newt yep the newt is it like the, is there like a, a half marshallese half salamander woman that he's having sex with now boy wouldn't put it past them. Well, thank you there, Marshall Island, for your attempt at That's a great. clean story. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Harrison is into that one. Uh -huh. uh, people call Sigmar Hotline 323-522-4032. We gotta get we gotta get out of here. Uh, best way to support the show is becoming a uh, sick and wrong patron. Seriously, we do appreciate that. Uh, we're trying to grow our patron. It helps the show. Uh, what, what do we have? Grow. What is it? Eat this rotten fruit from a shitty tree. What do, what do we have on it? Yeah, eat this rotten fruit from a shitty tree, I think. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. But that's what we're trying to do here with this show yeah. is eat some rotten fruit. And we give you plenty of rotten fruit. If you go to Patreon right now, sign up, you get like, I don't know, hundreds of hours of content. Maybe not. 200 hours. I don't know. But uh, you do get an extra story every week. We did a pretty good one this week of Harrison's dream date. Um, and you also get uh, outtakes and you get phone calls. So you get phone calls, you get outtakes and an extra story. And this week, just a little, uh, a little teaser for the outtake. Uh, Harrison went on a date from the app Whippler. 
which I didn't even know existed until you told me about it. Let's not tell other people about it. It's going to get flooded with fucking, you Near know, mutts. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Harrison uh, went on date on Whippler and uh, don't, don't, don't. Oh, okay. Well, we're, we're not messing that. But he, uh, he discussed the, well, it's the first no, date you've had in a while. Dude, don't fucking say anything, man. What is your problem? I'm just telling, I'm teasing it's a, the it's outtake. It. It's all there. That's all you say. There's nothing else to say. All right. Harrison went on a date. And we talk about it. That's the kind of thing we talk about in outtakes. And the only yeah. place you're going to hear that is on Patreon. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Uh, finally, here's sick and wrong song of the week. I was trying to find an American song, but Harrison was having conniptions over there. So the only one I could pick out was American Cow by the Melvins, <laughs> which right. is a pretty good song. So I'm going to dedicate that one to all the uh, 4th of July revelers out there. People have a safe and happy 4th of July I would probably refrain from inserting sparklers into your urethra. It's never a good idea. It's a tough area to get burns. Uh, but do have a f- happy 4th of July. You can do a lot of other things with sparklers. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 694. Or 695. We'll be back next week with episode 695. Until then, take a sleazy.
Hi, I'm Wilford Brimley. You know, when you first find out from your doctor, you know, when you first find out from your doctor, you know, when you first find out from your doctor, your doctor, you've got diabetes, can be mind-boggling. Diabetes, 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 diabetes. diabetes. 